Thanks for the kind introduction and welcome. Nice to be back with you at the Crescent. So we're continuing our series in Romans. And if you want to turn to chapter 5, that's page 942 in the Pew Bibles, 942. Today we're going to be focusing mainly on the the first 11 verses of chapter 5. I'm not sure if you've, how you've found the studies in Romans so far. A lot of people find Romans quite intimidating and complex. And this is the Apostle Paul's letter to the Roman church explaining what the gospel is, probably more than any other letter from start to finish. So we tend to, you know, it can intimidate us and we think, if I have to understand this in order to explain the gospel to people, I don't even know where to start sometimes when you see some of Paul's letters. But we're meant to be studying this to give us confidence, isn't that the whole point in this series? Confidence in God. Confidence to share the gospel in our modern culture which is doing a great job of silencing us. And it, this should give us confidence because I'm gonna, what, what, what I'm going to show today is that God doesn't need people who understand great theological arguments. He needs people who are convinced that he loves them. That's the people who will do things for God in this world. And this passage is about how God restores our confidence in his love for us. That's what will make a difference in our modern world as well. When we are truly convinced that our God loves us, that's why Christ came, to prove God's love for us. And so God is, this is going to show us that God has gone to great lengths to, to prove his love for us. Uh, let's read Romans chapter 5 together. And please notice the emphasis that of the Holy Spirit pouring the love of God into our hearts, convincing us of God's love. <clears throat> So Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows, or that word is proves, demonstrates. God proves his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So do you see the language here right from the start of the chapter? We have peace with God. And it ends in verse 11 with this concept of reconciliation. It's all about restoring our relationship with God. Us and God coming back together. We obviously weren't, and now we're being reconciled. We were enemies, we're being made friends. Bringing peace and friendship between two former enemies. And this word access, it actually means, it's talking about Jesus Christ bringing us right into the presence of God. And introducing us again to God. He's made the way for us to get to know God again. 
And not as a scary judge or someone that we find intimidating, but as a loving father, someone that we can run to. That's the idea of what is Jesus is trying to do for us here. That's what Christ came to do, to prove God loves us so that we learn to trust him and get to know him, so that we come to him and build a personal relationship with him. Now, chapter 1 of Romans has already shown us that deep down, everyone knows there is a God. You know, a lot of us try to deny it, but everyone deep down knows there is a God. But by nature, we aren't so convinced that God loves us. That's why we stay away from him by nature. We suspect the very opposite. We naturally perceive him as a threat. So we often work very hard to get away from God. I know I did. and Many others do as well. And we try to live as independently, as far away from him as possible. Because this is the real issue between us and God. We don't need so much proof that he exists, so much as proof that he loves us. Right? See, God could very easily prove that he exists. He could you know, open the skies. He could speak personally to each one of us with an audible voice. He could do and It would be very easy for him to prove that he exists. But that wouldn't really solve the issue. That wouldn't really bring us and God back together. That would not help the relationship. That would quite often do the opposite and just frighten us even more. The real issue is love. For us to come to God, we need to learn to trust him again. And for that, we, he doesn't need to convince us that he exists. He needs to convince us that he loves us. This is a very appropriate topic for Valentine's weekend, isn't it? I think. Which is all about people proving their loves, their love for their beloved. And, but God can't really get away with just giving us a bunch of flowers because he's already given us billions of flowers. And that doesn't seem to have done the trick. We are still very much unconvinced. It seems he needs to do more than that. So God's task of convincing us that he loves us is especially difficult because there is these two major problems to this. Number one is our guilt. You know, we think God could not love us because of all our sins and faults and failings. We we know that God is holy and righteous and just and, and And also, he knows our deepest, darkest secrets, right? And there's a real problem there. And so we run from God for the same reason a criminal runs from the police, especially the police who know an awful lot about his crimes. You know, you read the story in the Bible. When the first humans, Adam and Eve, they first, you know, sinned, incurred guilt. And what was their immediate reaction? Run and hide from God. Like it's natural. And that is the number one difficulty. The number two is Satan's lies. Satan has been campaigning against God since the beginning of time. He's trying to cut off our relationship with God through making us believe the worst about God. You know, again, think of the very first story of the first humans, Adam and Eve. They had this perfect relationship with God until Satan turned up and started telling fake news about God, right? Casting all these doubts on him. Satan whispered to Eve, God is lying to you. He's holding back from you. He knows that if you will be just like him, you'd be far better off without him. Break free. Be your true self. Get away from God. And she bought it. And we humans have believed that ever since. Our society is still determined to kick God off. We still think we'd be better off without him. And it's all just part of a big smear campaign. 
See, the truth is that God loves us and wants the very best for us. And Satan does his best work sometimes in the difficulties of life. Especially whenever we suffer, whenever life goes wrong. That's whenever Satan comes along and says, God hates you. Like, why is he letting this happen? So, we've got these two things going on. First of all, our guilt, and then the smear campaign that has been going on since the beginning of time against God. And this is the question at the heart of the universe. Does God really love us? And the most important question for each of us personally, does God really love me? That's really what it comes down to. So God, in the, is got, Paul's shown us that God has gone to great lengths to prove his love for us and defeat the lies about him. And he is, hasn't just given us flowers. He has given us his son. That's what this is saying. He has given his most precious son to die for us. It's stressed here four times. Did you notice that Christ died for the ungodly? Christ died for us. We were justified by his blood, by the death of his son. So why did God do this? Why, this is the greatest thing that God will ever do for us. So why did God do that for us? To take away our guilt, to remove that first barrier that, that keeps us away from God, the guilt and sin, the inward feelings, to remove this huge barrier and allow that possibility of us having a relationship with God again. It is true that God is holy and just, and we have incurred an awful lot of guilt, but God has taken care of it. That's what this is arguing by himself for us. Christ died for us. We're justified by his blood. So God has done what we could never do for ourselves. He has cleansed us of all charges. That's what justified means. It means walking out of court with a clean record. Because of what Christ has done on the cross. Even though we were the ones who created the problem, God has provided the way to remove it completely. So we can be friends with him again. It's a bit like, imagine you have a friend who's a billionaire, maybe you do, good stuff if you do, right? Imagine a friend of a billionaire, and but the problem is you owe that friend a massive amount of debt. Say you have a small business and you owe his large business an awful lot of money, millions of pounds. And you have no way to pay. So what do you do? You avoid your friend's phone calls, right? <laughs> and you try to avoid him as long as possible and hope for the best. But your friend is really annoyed at the fact that you're avoiding his phone calls. So he actually decides, look, I am going to take care of that debt myself. Out of my own personal fortune, I will pay your little company's debt so that we can be friends. again. He would rather be friends with us than worry about this debt. He wipes your slate clean so you stop avoiding him. That's exactly what God is doing here. This is the real issue. Yes, we owe God a massive amount of debt, but God values our friendship, our relationship more than even what we have done for him, against him. And he was willing to pay the price of our debt at a massive personal cost to himself. And we understand just how much God loves us and values us by looking at what it cost him to pay that price. You know, notice what God had to do in order to be able to justify us. Look at what it says. We are justified by his blood. God himself had to become human and suffer and die in our place. He had to pay our debt himself in his own blood. This is talk about personal cost. I want to show you verse 8 here. Makes no sense unless Jesus Christ is God. Otherwise, it doesn't prove God's love at all. 
Look at what it says. It said, God proves or shows his love for us. In that way, we were still sinners. Christ died for us. It's showing that whenever Christ died, God died for us. Christ is God. Not someone else. Because it wouldn't make any sense if we, if we substitute in other names. Imagine I said, John demonstrates his great love for Mary in that while she was a sinner, Fred died for her. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense unless the person willing to die here in this verse is the same person we owe the debt to. It's the same person proving his love to us. When Christ died for us, God died for us. Christ is God is what this is showing to us. And this word shows here. It means proved. It means demonstrates. Beyond any question of doubt. It's like giving a demonstration once and for all. This is God's greatest Valentine's gift ever. Right? This is the proof that he really does love us. That he is not against us. He is for us. God has proven once and for all that he loves us. In fact, he loves us so much, he would rather suffer and die so that we don't have to. He would rather be punished for our sins rather than us be punished. When we see the cross, that should end any question as to whether God loves us or not. God is saying, look, look at what I have done for you. Would I do this if I didn't love you? Your Prof Gooding, he uses the illustration of door-to-door salesman. Uh, back after World War II, and it, there was loads of unemployment, and people had no choice but to take these rubbish jobs, you know, selling vacuum cleaners or kitchen utensils around doors, and you had to go door by door. But eventually, there were so many of these people going around knocking doors that all the housewives and whatever got fed up with them. And they would, you know, they'd hear the door knock, and then they'd half open it, and then they'd be ready to slam it shut before they said anything. So they're tired of hearing from all these people. And and the people didn't even have a chance to demonstrate, you know, the wonderful product, whatever it was that they were selling. And this is a lot like how the reception God generally gets in this world. He's trying to tell us that he loves us. And the world in general is like, clear off before he even gets a chance to say anything. And so... The door-to-door salesmen, they, they come up with a new technique. It was called putting your foot in the door, right? <laughs> so it's before the door had a chance to slam, you put your foot in it and said, just a minute, let me, sh-, like, honestly, let me show you this. This is something that you want. Give me 30 seconds to demonstrate this thing to you. And you see what the cross is? The cross is God putting his foot in humanity's door. He says, just a minute. The cross you know, at the cross, we humans, we, we got a hold of God and we were going to throw him out once and for all, out of this world. Put him on a cross, get, put him to death and get rid of him. And at that very moment, whenever we're trying to slam the door shut from God forever, God says, no, just a minute. I am going to show you something here. At the cross, God is saying, take a look again at me. Look at what went on there. Don't you see that this shows that I must love you? Why would I have allowed this to happen unless more than anything else I want a relationship with you? And since, since the cross, millions of people have looked at the cross and they've, started, they've changed their mind about God and they've actually started to open the door and invite him in again. 
And that is not all that God even has done here. God has also given us the gift of His Holy Spirit to help us see the full extent of His love. It says here, the Holy Spirit pours into our hearts the love of God. It means makes God's love real to us. So it's not just a theory that God loves us, but a reality that we actually know it personally. So we see it for ourselves and become convinced of it personally. That God loves me, even me. The Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts little by little, like pouring water. Until every over time it covers our doubts and fears, gives us passion for Him, gives us responsive, willing, obedient, sacrificial hearts that trust God deeply. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in all of His people. Now, I want, but I want you to notice here how the Holy Spirit does this. He doesn't give us just great and gushing feelings of love for God. He does this through facts. Look at look at. Right after verse 5, and it talks about the Holy Spirit pouring his love in this, it starts to argue, for, while we were still sinners, for, one will scarcely die, since, therefore, much more, for, if. The Holy Spirit does this by arguing the facts to us. He demonstrates. He makes us see the facts, a bit like demonstrating a vacuum cleaner or whatever else. He says, look at this. He slowly and surely convinces us that God loves based on what God has done for us, based on the facts. And particularly through God's supreme demonstration of his love through the cross, the the Spirit slowly opens our eyes to see the full significance of just what God has done there. And, And we need that demonstration. Think about the people you love, you trust the most, you have the closest relationship with. Like it's, it's, you know, family or close friends. It's the people... Why do you trust them more than other people? Because you've seen proof that they love you. You know, you've seen their love in action. Whenever we start to see evidence that people are for us, especially the people who actually know us the most and know the worst things about us, and yet are still for us, when we see them sacrifice for us, when we value, we value them especially if they know our dark sides, our embarrassing phobias, and still love us. They're the people we really trust. You know, lots of people can say they love us, but not many prove it. And although human love can be amazing, the Holy Spirit is pointing out here that God's love for us, for each one of us, is beyond any human love. Sometimes humans might possibly be willing to die for family or you know, friends that they really love, but who has ever chose to die for their enemies? We weren't righteous or good. Look at what it says. We were weak and ungodly sinners. We were the very enemies of God. We were in the process of trying to God shut God out of life forever at the cross. We were rejecting him and throwing him out. And at that very time, instead of God destroying us, it would have been really easy for him to destroy us. He didn't. He put up with us. And he actually used our very rejection to save us. Why would God do that? The Holy Spirit's arguing. Why would God do that unless he loved us? It's the only explanation that makes any sense. And see how the Holy Spirit is using these sheer facts. Look, if God loved us so much, even when we were enemies, he's not going to love us any less now that we have been reconciled to him. Now that we're friends, his love for us is even greater (laughs) and even more secure. The Holy Spirit's just laying down the facts of history here for us. We have nothing to fear from God. Stop running. 
Stop hiding. But to be honest, it takes time for this to sink in. For all of us. We, we, just, we just don't understand love like this. And we don't deserve it. And we don't feel very lovable. And that's exactly the point. We aren't. <laughs> right? We weren't lovable and we're still not. But God's love doesn't depend on us being lovable. He loves the unlovable is what the Holy Spirit's arguing. This is love beyond anything else we know on earth. If we're going to really get to know it, we have to let the Holy Spirit pour that into our hearts. And, and we aren't just to sit back and wait for that to happen. We can make this easier, the job of the Holy Spirit easier here. That's one of the reasons God has ordained for us to start each week with the Lord's Supper. So we focus some time every week on the ultimate proof of God's love. To, to pour into our hearts, to, to hammer into our heads that God loves us. And as we contemplate the cross week by week, we slowly but surely, it starts to sink in through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, even as Christians, and whenever we live a week in this world, our, we start to believe the lies again about God. Especially whenever life goes wrong, especially when it's hard. So we need the facts brought before us. <laughs> there, invisible symbols in a sense. Every week to hammer into our heads, look, God loves you. Remember the facts. And it's not magic. For this, for this to have a real impact, we need to focus undistracted with our phones turned off and pray for the Holy Spirit to help us see it, see what this is saying. It takes years, but there is nothing more practical for us as Christians than the Lord's Supper when we're engaged in it week by week. Because this series is called Confidence in God. And this is the most fundamental aspect of the confidence we need in God. Confidence that he loves us personally and individually. Paul knows that this is foundational to everything else. And we will only truly obey God and let him lead us and trust him whenever we get this underlying confidence that God loves us. We will only share him with others whenever we are confident that God loves the world more than they know. Right? You know, today there's loads of young people who are activists about lots of issues and they speak up for what they believe in, equality, climate change, health, political issues, whatever. And Paul realizes that maybe the reason that these Romans and maybe us don't speak up so much about God is because right under it, we just don't believe it enough. And we need the Holy Spirit to convince us deeply that God loves us. And God loves this world. And that's why Paul starts here in the first section of Romans. Because for these Christians in Rome to become effective for God, they have to be convinced of his love for them. And maybe if Paul came to Belfast and came to our churches, he would realize the exact same thing. We need to get back to the cross and the proof. And he would start again with the facts. And maybe it would be obvious that we need the basic facts of the gospel applied to our hearts through the Holy Spirit as well, because this is foundational to everything else. 
Because look at what it says here as well. It says about what God can do in us whenever we are convinced of his love. Look at this. We rejoice in our sufferings. Now, that makes no sense. Even in trials and difficulties, whenever the Holy Spirit has poured God's love into our hearts, we can rejoice in our difficulties. Now, the word rejoice doesn't mean you be happy whenever things are going wrong and you're suffering. The, the word in Greek means a defiant confidence. It's the same word, confidence in God. That's what we take this, the title for this series here. We, we have confidence even in our sufferings. That, that brings an inner joy and a security. It means that even whenever life is hard and things go wrong, we have confidence in God. We are convinced that God loves us. Look at what it says. The reason we can rejoice is because knowing that our suffering produces character. We know that he is not, he, he is allowing these things to happen to us for a good reason. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us. We know that he loves us. We've been convinced about that. And it's just the same way a child more willingly accepts their parents getting, getting them to do chores or disciplining them if they trust that the parent loves them. And is doing this for their ultimate good. We all know that a child develops best when they're secure in a loving home. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. For us to make any progress with God, working in our character, bringing us up as his children, the first thing we need to be is convinced that he loves us. Secure. When we are genuinely convinced that God loves us, we know that everything that God allows to happen to us is for our ultimate good. He's using these difficulties. There is no other way to produce steadfastness, endurance in us. And that endurance leads to character. And character, you know, that we grow and mature and we see ourselves developing character and it leads to more and more hope. You know, we can see what God is doing in us, even through the difficulties. And we start to anticipate and wonder at the future he has prepared for us. We can see that God is bringing us up because he has a future in mind for us. When we are convinced of God's love for us, the difficulties make us trust in God and his promises even more and put our hope in him even more. And it says when we do that, we will not be disappointed. God will never let us die. You see why it is so important we allow the Holy Spirit to convince us of God's love before we hit the hard times. Unless we have this foundation, difficulties in life can actually unsettle us and have the very opposite effect of what they should have, what they're meant to have. They can make us inconsistent instead of steadfast. They can, instead of producing trust and hope, they can lead to doubt and bitterness about God. That's why we need to be convinced of God's love. But if we do become convinced of God's love, He can work in us through the difficulties to produce a character in us that could not be produced any other way. Through the hardships of life. And He can use these times to work through us to actually prove His love as well. You know, when people see us trusting God, holding strong and steadfast to God through the hard times, it proves that we really are convinced that God loves us. You know, it's undeniable. If people see us singing songs here on a Sunday morning whenever life is going well and everything is great, it means very little. It's like, well, that's what they do, whatever. But if people see us blessing his holy name, in the shadows of the difficulties of life, it is undeniable. 
If we want to become effective for God in this modern world, we don't need to know every answer to the arguments of Romans, right, or whatever else. We need to become convinced through the power of the Holy Spirit that God loves us. You know, before I was a Christian, this is what really convinced me that God was real. Not arguments or logic. I couldn't get away from the fact that my parents really did trust God. Especially whenever I saw really hard things happen in our family. And they stayed true to him. I could not deny that they knew that God loved them in some way that I didn't. So this first section of Romans is about how God has gone about restoring our trust in him. And especially in his love. Giving us confidence in God again. And God has proven that by dying for us. To pay the debt and restore us to himself. But even though we're utterly undeserving. Because he values our friendship far more than he. And even the fact that we were sinners and enemies of him. So that we humans might end up having confidence in God again. In his love for us. Even when we face difficulties and sufferings. And we will. As God uses those very things to work in us and prepare us for glory. And it takes the power of the Spirit of God to pour that love of God into our hearts. But we can certainly make this more possible by sitting before the evidence week by week and praying for the Spirit to make it real. Let's pray just now. Lord, we do thank you for your great demonstration, beyond all demonstrations, of the the fact that you love us. Lord, whenever we, as human beings, were trying our utmost to get rid of, we actually had a hold of God, and were throwing, putting him on a cross, of him forever. And at that very moment, at that very time, our God said, no, just a minute. Let me show you how much I love you all. Lord, Help the sheer facts of the cross and who it was that died there for us to sink into our hearts this very day so that each of us personally and individually can come to see that God loves me, even me. And build up that foundation of confidence in God that we need if we're going to face life and if we're going to have any impact for our God in this world. And we ask it for the glory of the Lord Jesus in his name.